Here we are in week number two of our series, Jesus's Prayer for Us. We just came out of a series called Teach Us to Pray, in which Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. But you know what? We are in John 17 in this series, which could be more appropriately or more fittingly called the Lord's Prayer, because this was actually a prayer that the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, prayed. And it was a prayer for us. We talked about this last week, that this is typically referred to as the high priestly prayer. And last week, as we kicked off the series, we talked about why it's called the high priestly prayer and the purpose behind all of it. And you can go check that out if you missed that last week. But there's at least a couple really significant reasons why we want to look at the Lord's Prayer. Number one, it's because Jesus was praying for us, y'all. I mean, this is a big deal. When Jesus prays for us and there's certain things that he is praying for us, we ought to pay attention. And we also want to align our lives with the things, the desires that he has for us, right? And so Jesus prays for us, and so we need to pay attention. A second reason why this prayer in John 17 is so significant for us is because through this prayer, Jesus gives us direction. He gives us purpose. He, he, he rehashes the work that he did while he was on the earth. And what he did, we ought to do. He is our example and our model, and he sets the agenda for us. And through this prayer, he helps us to see his work past tense and our work present and future tense. And so the high priestly prayer in John 17 is where we're at this morning. We're going to check out the first three verses. John 17, 1 to 3, let's read those. Jesus, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, and this goes back to last week, we're coming off of John 16 at the very end of this dialogue he has with his disciples. He says that in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have adversity. But take heart because I have overcome the world. And our big idea last week was that as life presses in on us, we can know that the one who has overcome the world is praying for us. And so immediately following this encouragement from Jesus to his disciples, he begins to pray. It says he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, before we dig into these, these few verses, which, which is really important for the rest of this prayer, the very, very first phrase is, is what we're, we want to take a look at. It sets the, the context of the time in which Jesus is praying, and it's actually the title of this sermon. It's this phrase, the hour has come. The hour has come. Jesus starts by saying, Father, the hour has come. Now, when Jesus speaks about the hour or this hour or my hour, and he does this throughout his ministry, what he's referring to is his death in his his resurrection. And this phrase is always, 
always future, the hour, his hour is always spoken of as being something in the future. And all of his life and all of his ministry is leading up to this moment, to this hour. We see it throughout the, the New Testament, throughout his life. He uses this phrase of my hour or the hour has not yet come, which I love because what this tells us is that Jesus isn't subservient to his calendar. His calendar is subservient to him. He, he doesn't allow time to dictate to him. He dictates to time. And he says, my hour is not yet come. And you see multiple times when Jesus causes a little bit of a stir in the Jewish religious community. And when those religious leaders would seek to arrest him or take hold of him, he kind of had this sneaky way of, of, of escaping. And it would always say, because his hour was not yet come. Because again, Jesus sets the agenda and he dictates the time and the place and when he would allow himself to be taken and arrested and crucified. And so Jesus says the hour has come and this hour was part of why he came. And so what we see here is Jesus is coming. He's coming to the end. And so this prayer takes on even more importance. It takes on even more urgency because he's coming to the end. His hour has arrived and he's getting ready to go to the cross. And so he's engaging the Father in communion and intercession for himself right here and then also for his disciples as we move through this prayer. And so there's three words or three phrases that I want us to, to take a look at before we, we talk about what this means for, for us. Three words or phrases we need to understand. First is the phrase that he says immediately following this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And so I want to focus in on this word glorify and what this means in this context. We talked about it last week, that the theme underneath this whole, this whole prayer and underneath the whole um, you know, the story of Scripture and the story of God, the story of our lives, should be the glory of God. And so what does this mean when Jesus prays, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you? Well, let me start by saying that this, this touches on the doctrine or the teaching of Scripture that we refer to as the Trinity, which means that God is three in one. He's three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet He is one God. He is three in one. And so we see here, we, we see God the Son, Jesus, conversing or praying to God the Father. And you can't separate these two. They're three, yet they're one. But what we see here is Jesus prays, Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And what we find is that the Son would be glorified by laying down His life, by, by bearing the sins of many, by becoming a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And in laying His life down as a sacrifice, the Son is, is, is glorified. The spotlight is put on Him. And, then, and we see that the Father would be glorified by His plan of redemption. That even though God is holy and just and perfectly righteous without sin, and He cannot coexist with sin or sinners, those of us who, who have sin in, in and of ourselves, and yet... 
he, because of his love for us, was able to make a way. He, he set a plan in motion from the foundation of the world to redeem and to reconcile sinful man. And so the Father is, is glorified by his plan of, of redemption. We see in Romans 3, 23 to 26, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me. We have all fallen short. We're all sinners. And yet we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. In other words, this was to glorify God, to put His righteousness on display. Because in His divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Verse 26, again, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so Jesus is praying for himself. He's praying, God, glorify me through the cross, through my death, through my burial, through my resurrection. Glorify me so that I can glorify you. Put the spotlight on me on the cross. The world's attention would be turned to me. Would you glorify me so that I could turn the spotlight, so I could turn the attention back on you to glorify you because of your amazing grace and your plan of redemption your plan to redeem and reconcile sinful man back to yourself. And so Jesus' prayer, as he's heading to the cross, as he knows what's coming, he says, Father, would you glorify me so that I could glorify you? You know, in a sense, this is kind of like, like us asking God to, to, to help us to be successful in, in whatever we do, in, in our, our job or in our schoolwork or you know, in, in, in anything that we do. It's like an athlete even asking, God, would you help me to be successful so that I can put the spotlight on me so that, so that I can turn it back on you, so that I can glorify you, so that I can honor you, so that I could turn the world's attention to you. You know, sometimes athletes do this. Like they, they are so good at what they do and God has blessed them and given them success. And they want to use that platform in order to turn the attention back to Christ. I love this. I love this when I see those that are in the national spotlight take the spotlight off of themselves and point it to God. And this is in essence, in a much bigger, to a much bigger, larger, ultimate degree, Jesus says, Father, put the spotlight on me. Glorify me so that I could turn it around and glorify you. And this is the prayer of Jesus. And this honestly should be... A, the desire of our lives that God I want to be successful in the things that you've given me to do the thing that you've told me to put my hand to so that I can use that success so that I can use the spotlight so I can use the platform you've given me to glorify you and this is what Jesus was praying glorify your son that the son may glorify you Here, here's a here's a second word that I think is really important that we've got to get a hold of in this prayer it's the word authority. Authority. See in, in John 17, verse number two, Jesus says, talking to the Father, since you have given him, 
Jesus authority over all flesh. So I want to think about that, that word authority. Think about what that means. To have authority, it means to have the power or the right to can control or to command or to determine. The power or right to control or to command or to determine. I mean, this word authority is a strong word, isn't it? When you think of this word authority, it's not usually a comforting word. When we think of authority, we typically think of somebody who's got power over us, right? And, uh, you know, I I want you to think of, of all the authority figures that you've had in the course of your life. You know, it starts right from birth. The, the second you enter the world, you've got authority over you. You've got your parents. And then, you know, throughout the course of your life, you have teachers and maybe coaches, um, you know, governmental authorities, supervisors, bosses. You always have these authority figures in your life. And, you know, for, for many of us, authority feels like a bad word, right? It doesn't have a a positive connotation to it because a lot of times for many of us when we think of authority we think of those who abuse power those who who uh, um, use it to manipulate or to control or to abuse others in fact when we've uh, there's no doubt we've had at least some positive healthy authorities in our lives but typically when they are good, we don't think of them as being authority or authoritative in our life because, because for the most part, we think of authority as a bad thing. But here's the truth when it comes to earthly authorities is that all earthly authorities are limited. They have limits, whether it's through a system of checks and, and balances with government and with, you know, in the corporate world whether it's through having the ability to appeal to a higher authority, um, you know, whatever the case may be, every earthly authority has limits. And yet there is one authority that is limitless. It's God, right? God is the only one in the universe that has limitless power, who has limitless authority that nobody dictates to him. There is no higher authority. There's no checks and balances on God. He has ultimate authority. It's a biblical term that we use. It's that's that's uh, we would say is omnipotence, which means all powerful omnipotence or another word we might use. Another biblical word would be sovereign, sovereign. We, we, We say that God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He has all power. He has all authority in the entire universe that that nobody is over him. Uh, Psalm says that that power belongs to the Lord. Power belongs to God. And and what we see in this prayer as Jesus is praying is that God has all authority, and yet he's given it to Jesus. He, He... He gives authority. He gives power to Jesus. We see again in verse 2, since you have given him authority, you have given. It means you possess it and you have given him, your son, all authority. Now now think of this authority that he's, he's talking about. There's no limits to his power. There's no limits to authority because it says he's been given authority over all flesh. 
like the whole human realm, all human beings, all human circumstances. Jesus, you have, God, you have given Jesus all authority over all flesh to give, he goes on, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So not only do you have authority over all flesh, you have authority and power to grant eternal life to whomever you will. Like, think of this. You have the power of life and death, not just, not just physical, temporary life and death, but eternal life and death is in your hands. Jesus has been given all authority. John 5, 26 and 27, it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him, what? Authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He has given him authority. Later on in Matthew 28, as Jesus has been crucified and he's, he's been risen again and he comes to the disciples, this very final marching orders, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus starts out this, this commissioning of his disciples by, by saying this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and the heavenly realms and on earth. It's been given to him by God the Father. And so authority, it's been given to Jesus. So, so we're building, building our, our, our theological understanding here that, that God wants to glorify Jesus so Jesus could glorify him. This is through the cross, through, through his death and resurrection that, that God has given Jesus authority over all flesh and authority to give eternal life. And here's, here's the third phrase that I want to look at, that, that word, that phrase I just used. Eternal life. Eternal life. What you see is verse 2 again, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. So let me pause here because I want to kind of define. You may have, when we say eternal life, you may already have thoughts in your mind about what that means. May be accurate, may not be accurate. It's not just about length of time. It's not just about length of time as in forever and ever. And it's not just about location. It's not just about, you know, a lot of times we think of eternal life and we think about heaven. When I die, I will have eternal life and I will go someplace to live forever. And and that place is heaven. It's not just about length of time. It's not just about location. It is about both of those things. It's no less than that, but it is far more than that. It's not just about length of time. It's not just about location, but here is how Jesus defines it. Look back at John 17, verse number three. This is eternal life that they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What it's really all about is about knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And again, you cannot separate Jesus the Son and God the Father because of the Trinity, the three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are three and yet one and, and, and to know God, the only way to know God is to know 
Jesus Christ. Jesus, he refers to him as the only true God. And the only true God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Simple idea, but big ramifications here. It's easy to talk generically about God or, or knowing God, having a relationship with God, or, or yeah, I believe in God, but, but you realize there's all kinds of different gods, right? There's all kinds of spiritual gods, gods of other religions that are inanimate gods or gods or idols that we have in our lives. There is only one true God. It is the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't know God the Father unless you know Jesus Christ. That's why we said it last week, John 14, verse 6, Jesus comes along and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if you talk generically about believing in God or knowing God or having a relationship with God, but that's not connected to Jesus Christ, to the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Son of God, you're talking about a different God, not the only true God. Jesus says eternal life is this, knowing God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And so our only way to know God is by knowing Jesus Christ, eternal life. When it's all said and done, Jesus defines it for us. It's, it's all about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. It begins at new birth, not at death. Sometimes we think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, I have eternal life so that when I die, I'm going to live forever. No, eternal life starts at the moment you are spiritually born again by putting faith in Christ. So it begins at new birth, not physical death. And just to be clear, the way that you receive that life, that eternal life, is, is not through your religious works. It's not through doing good. It's, it's through hearing and believing the truth about Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so when you hear the message of the gospel, the fact that, that God is holy, God is love, and he loves us so much that he made a way for us in our sin to be forgiven by sending Jesus to pay the price for our sin. If we would confess faith in Jesus who died and rose again to give us forgiveness and freedom from sin, if we put our faith in Christ, we hear and we believe, Jesus says we'll have eternal life. We would have eternal life. We would pass from death to life. And so the way today that if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, the way, that you, the way that you get eternal life, the way that you are born spiritually, born again, is by hearing what we're talking about today. To hear that message and to believe and to call out to Him in faith. And so I want to ask you today, do you have eternal life? Do you know God? Have you confessed faith in Jesus? If not, you can do that today. You can do that right now if you believe. Just call on his name.
1 John 5, 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. So let me give us three just really simple but huge application thoughts for us based off of the things we've just heard. First thought is this. The gospel is the epicenter of God's glory. The gospel, Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is the epicenter of God's glory. Man, that is so clear. We see this from Jesus praying, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. The gospel, this is the gospel. The fact that God had a plan of redemption, a plan to make us new, a plan to forgive us, to wipe away our sins so that we can know God. God had a plan of redemption to redeem and to reconcile us. And Jesus carried out the plan by laying his life down on the cross. If we would confess faith in him, we would receive forgiveness of sins. And if we would continue to walk after Jesus, that we would experience freedom from our sin. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is at the very center, at the very heart, the epicenter of God's glory. This, the gospel, is at the very center of it. That's why you, you hear me talk and you will continue to hear me talk about the gospel the gospel. I'm a one-trick pony, y'all. It is all about the gospel. Because the gospel is at the center, of, because it's central to God's glory, we are to be a gospel-centered people, living gospel-centered lives, doing gospel-centered ministry in the world. It's all because of the gospel, because the gospel changes everything. What Jesus has done for us changes everything. The gospel is the epicenter of God's glory. And so that is why you will hear me preach week in and week out until I'm blue in the face, until you're tired of hearing about it and beyond. It's all about the gospel because this is at the epicenter of God's glory. Amen. I know y'all are amen in me out there. Thought number two is this. The one with all the power is for you. The one with all the power is for you. Remember, God has all power. Power belongs to God and he has given it to Jesus. All, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He is the one who has overcome the world and he is for you and he is praying for you. Romans 8, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? Paul's been talking about our, our security in Christ. Our identity is wrapped up in, in Him and what He has done on our behalf. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a rhetorical question. God is for us. And so what does it matter? Who can be against us? Because God has all the power in all the universe and so it doesn't matter who's against us because he is for us. He is for you. Know it. Believe it today. It doesn't matter how you feel. 
know the truth that God, the one with all power, is for you. He is rooting for you. Number three, third thought is this. The life we were created to enjoy, the life we were created to enjoy is all about knowing God. The life we were created to enjoy, not to just endure or to stomach, the life we were created to enjoy. Remember I said it last week, what's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. Question and answer number one. We're to, in, we're to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The life we were created to enjoy is all about, it's wrapped up in knowing God. Knowing God. Everything that we do, eternal life, is this. Knowing God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, the life that we were created to enjoy, is all about a relationship with God, knowing Him. Y'all, sometimes we get wrapped up in all the stuff of life. We get discouraged or encouraged by all these different number of things, all these material things, all these temporary things, all you know, good things and bad things. But they get our attention off of the main thing, the primary thing, the one thing, the most important thing that we were created for. It's for knowing God and Jesus Christ. It's having a relationship with Him. The life that we were created to enjoy is all about knowing God. So let me ask you today, do you know Him? Do you know Him? Do you know Him more and more as the days go by, as the months of your life go by, as the years of your life go by? Do you know Him more? This is, this is so important in every relationship, human and divine. If you are married, if you have kids, if you have friends, if you have you know, anybody that you're in relationship with, the way that your relationship gets better is by getting to know them more. Your relationship goes deeper and becomes richer the more and more you get to know somebody and the more that you do life with them. And so the more that you know God, the more that you grow in your relationship with Him. But the opposite is true. The inverse is true. The less you get to know Him, the less you grow. And so you may be stuck in your faith. You may be stuck in your maturity. You may be going backwards. It's kind of like, it's kind of like trying to walk up an escalator that's coming down, right? Either you're, you're going against the grain and you're moving forward, or if you're standing still, you're actually, you're not standing still, you're moving backwards. And so the more you know God, the more you, you, you strive to know Him, and you move towards Him, the more you grow. But if you're not seeking to know Him more and to grow in a relationship with Him, you're just going to drift and drift and drift. And I think you know this, but let me remind you of this, that affliction and suffering and trouble in life, 
even though none of us enjoys it, it should help us to grow in knowing God. In fact, it's, it's meant for that purpose, to help us to know Him more so that we would grow in our relationship with Him, so that we would grow in our faith, that we would trust Him more through affliction if we would lean into that relationship. You know, Philippians 3, incredible passage. Paul, who more than anyone had a focus and a desire to know Christ, he said in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The the, the worth of knowing Jesus far surpasses anything else in life. He says, for, for, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may obtain, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, my goal in life, the thing I'm so focused on above all else, the thing that brings more worth to my life and my existence than anything is knowing Christ, is knowing Him and the power of His resurrection. Often those who suffer the most know God best because in their suffering they leaned into relationship. They stepped closer into relationship. They didn't fall away. And so I want to encourage you today that if you're struggling or when you are struggling, don't push away from God. Lean into relationship. Lean into relationship it's like this week for me and and maybe for you it's just saying lord i'm hurting or lord i'm confused or lord i don't get it lord i'm nervous lord i'm scared lord lord i'm anxious lord i'm stressed whatever it is lord this is where i'm at but lord i want to know you more and so would you help me in this to to lean into you would you help me to know you more because of what I'm going through, not less. This prayer that Jesus prays for us, he starts out by reminding us that that the gospel is the epicenter of God's glory, that, that he has been given all authority, all power, and that he is for you. That's why he's praying for you. That's why he's praying for us, because he's for you. He's for us and the life that he has created for us to enjoy is found in knowing God. And so where are you today? Do you know God? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have not, today's the day. May today be the day of salvation. Would you humble yourself? Would you believe in your heart that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross and rose again for your sins. 
And would you put your faith in him? Would you put your faith in Christ, knowing that he's the only way that you have, that you and I have to have a relationship with the Father? Would you say, God, I believe, and I put my faith in you. And you know what, wherever you're at, wherever we're at, whether you're struggling or whether you're doing just fine, man, our life, the life that he created for is about knowing God. And so whatever's going on in your life, the the things that are keeping you busy, the things that keep you occupied, the things that you think about most, the things that you put most of your energy towards, if the first and foremost priority, the thing that, that everything else revolves around, if it's not knowing God, man, today, let today be a day of repentance for you where you would ask God to reorient and refocus your life around what matters most, knowing God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. God, today, thank you that we can know you. Thank you for your glorious plan of redemption. God, that you didn't leave us stuck here trying to make our way to you, trying to find a way to remove our sins or to earn your favor, but but Lord, you had a plan of redemption that was in place and in motion from the foundation of the world that was to send your son, your only son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus, thank you for, for your willingness to lay down your life as a sacrifice for our sin that though you were given all authority on earth, you you humbled yourself and allowed yourself to be arrested and tried and crucified. But it didn't stop there. You rose again in power and victory over sin and death and the grave. And, And that authority that you were given through your through your death and your resurrection, you use that authority to give us eternal life, eternal life to all who would believe. And so Lord, I pray for whoever may be listening or watching today that has not yet believed in their heart and confessed you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that today you would draw them to yourself, that even now in this moment, they would put their faith in you. And Lord, I'm praying for me and for all of us Help us to get back to the simple place of understanding and realizing and pursuing this life that you've created us to enjoy that's all about knowing you. The complications of our life, help us to boil it back down to this simple thing that Paul was all about, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Lord, thank you that we can know you, that we can walk in freedom and joy because of you. And so, Lord, would you use us? Would you encourage us? Help us to stand fast and to stand firm in the faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.